All right. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, please. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 is our text. And the message again is entitled the same as last time, The Enemy in Warfare, Satan and His Angels. In our last study, we saw three things regarding angels. The origin of angels, the nature of angels, and the various classes of angels. We made general commentary on good and bad angels, those who are God's faithful servants, and those who left their first estate or dominion in heaven through the rebellion of Satan against God. Now we want to focus more specifically on the ministry of fallen angels that are demons to see what the scriptures teach from the same threefold lens here in this text. We want to look at the origin of demons, the nature of demons, the activity of demons, because this whole text is about the bad angels that stand against God and you. Okay? And as we pointed, there's good angels, bad angels. Some of these bad angels are demons, and we'll see this clearly. Let me read again our text here in Ephesians 6, 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, or literally in the heavenlies. Let's begin with the origin of demons, as we did with our past one about good angels. Some teach demons are of disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic earth, based on the speculation of two creations. They teach there was a first creation in the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They suppose that Satan was the ruler on earth in his unfallen state here, as the anointed cherub that covers, according to Ezekiel 28.14. The rebellion of Satan and the introduction of sin into the moral universe is also placed at this time, resulting in a destruction that introduced to it chaos described in the second verse of Genesis. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep of Genesis 1-2. So they translated... It became void and without form instead of what it says. It was void. Now, with this hypothesis, therefore they conclude that there is a second creation recorded in the latter part of verse 2 of Genesis 1-2 where it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So they see two creations. Now the hypothesis is that a pre-Adamic race suffered the loss of their material bodies and became disembodied spirits or demons. But this contradicts the Bible. The scripture refute this theory for sin and death did not exist prior to Adam but was introduced by Adam. Listen to Romans 5.12. It's amazing where one scripture can wipe out people's incredible theology. 
Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. In other words, there was no first creation and destruction in the second creation because death did not exist until Adam. Adam introduced sin. The consequences, death. Is that clear? Sounds great. Sounds brilliant. It's just not in the Bible. So the Bible does not teach demons are disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race on earth. Others teach demons are the offspring of angels and antediluvial women prior to the flood. This account is recorded for us in the sixth chapter of Genesis in verse 1 through 4. Let me read it. And it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of all men of renown. Now, this view believes the sexual cohabitation of these evil angels with women was the product of demons, which brought in the judgment by the flood, thereby becoming disembodied spirits, some being confined to permanent chains, while others were allowed to go free based on Peter and Jude. The objection must be based on the question, why would God bind some and not all of them? Having said this, we cannot ignore the text of the possible cohabitation of angels with women in light of the New Testament interpretation, because the new interprets the old, right? Listen carefully. Peter provides the close association of the judgment of the angels in the days of Noah. Listen to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4. He says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So Second Peter 3, 4 ties the angels and the flood together, okay, and the judgment. But then Jude, verse 6 and 7, listen very closely. Jude gives us the close association of the sin of the angels with Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain or first estate, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after, listen, strange flesh are set forth 
as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the phrase sons of God came into the daughters of men is often interpreted to mean the line of Seth to reject the interpretation of sexual cohabitation, the possibility. But the problem is that the phrase sons of God is never ever used for Seth or man. It's only used for angels five times. Genesis 6.2, 6.4, Job 1.6, Job 2.1, Job 38.7. Five times, all for angels. So on what basis do you, do you interpret that to be the sons of Seth? It says sons of God. The sons of God. Though I reject the view of demons being the result of the cohabitation, because the text says giants were before and giants were afterwards. I do not reject the possibility of the cohabitation of fallen angels. And one of the main reasons why God destroyed the antediluvial flood. If I didn't have Jude and Peter, I would say it's outlandish. But because I have the phrase that is always used for angels. And they interpret the close association with angels and sexual sin then I must be open that that is a possibility. Now, it's not going to send you to hell. It's not going to get you into heaven. But you want to stick as close to the scripture as possible. Okay? Now, some say Jesus taught that angels are sexless in objection. When he said, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. In Matthew twenty-two thirty. But Jesus, in context, did not teach that angels were sexless. He just taught that in the resurrection, believers will not marry like the angels don't marry. Why? Because we here need to populate. Heaven, you won't need to repopulate. Simple. So he's not saying angels are sexless. He's just saying that angels don't marry in heaven. And when we're resurrected, we won't marry either. That's all he's saying. So once again, it's read into it. I don't think it's any coincidence that all the angelic appearances in the Bible are always male. Not one female. There's never an angel Michelle or Gabriella. Only Michael and Gabriel. It's just that simple. So the Bible does not teach the origin of demons from an angelic and human cohabitation. The Bible does teach that demons are fallen angels. The fallen angels are under the authority of Satan, as you know. Um, the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of Beelzebub in Matthew twelve twenty four. Jesus identified Beelzebub as Satan. How can Satan cast out Satan? A divided house cannot stand. Matthew twelve twenty five 12, 25 to twenty six. So Jesus believed in um, in Satan, and um, he cast out demons by the power of God. The fallen angels belong to Satan. Satan and his angels is the phrase in Matthew twenty five forty one. Gehenna was made for Satan and his angels. The dragon and his angels in Revelation twelve seven and nine. Satan's rebellion is recorded in two books, as you know. We saw Isaiah fourteen twelve through fourteen and Ezekiel twenty eight eleven through eighteen. 
Satan led one-third of the angels in the rebellion, as we saw in Revelation 12.4. See, the bad angels of darkness that are bound, remember, fall under two categories we said last time. Those permanently in chains in Tartarus for leaving their proper domain or estate in Second Peter 2.4 and in Jude. And then those temporary bound in the bottomless pit, loose in the great tribulation, Revelation 9.2 and 14. The bad angels of darkness that are loose also fall under two categories. Demons that seem to possess people, unbelievers, never a believer, as we'll see. Evil spirits that seem to influence people. And the Bible teaches very clearly that fallen angels are demons. Demons are fallen angels. Not all fallen angels are demons, but those that are demons are fallen angels, and some of the fallen angels are demons, okay? Just what they are. Meyer Perlman, in his book, Knowing the Doctrines of the Bible, says this, quote, With um, lightning speed, and uh, noiseless movements, they pass from place to place. They inhabit the spaces of the air above us. Some we know to be concerned with our welfare. The others are set on our harm. The inspired writers draw inside the curtain, aside the curtain, and give us a glimpse of this invisible world in order that we may be both encouraged and warned. In this auditorium, ladies and gentlemen, right now, there's war going on. Good and bad angels. If God would open our eyes to it. They're invisible. But we read about them. That they exist. We have accounts that we look at very clearly. So this is what the Bible teaches about the origin of demons. Secondly comes um, the nature of demons. Demons are spirit beings. Since they're angels. These demons are fallen angels and they have no physical body or form called incorporeal. So they're spirits. Since they are fallen angels, it follows that they are of the same kind as good angels. Because all of them were one time in heaven. We saw that last week. He makes his angels spirits. His ministers of flame of fire, Psalm 104, verse 4 says. Demons are Satan's ministers, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Ministers of Satan. Since they originated from heaven, they most likely fall into the very same categories and classes that we saw last time of the good angels. Regular angels, cherubim, seraphim. And archangels, very possibly, because Satan's kingdom is a duplicate of God's kingdom, except it's bad. These demons have their part in the subdivisions or ranks of fallen angels described here in our text in Ephesians 6.12. The good ones are in Ephesians 1.20 and 21. Okay, same titles are, are used there. Principalities, which means first ones or preeminent ones, leaders, powers, meaning authorities, rulers of darkness, refers to the world, rulers of darkness and wicked spirits, the spirit forces of perniciousness and the angel spirits and demons 
of Satan in the lower atmosphere make up their kingdom. We might look at them again as privates, corporals, sergeants, half-sergeants, so on and so forth. Now, these demons are distinct from the fallen angels, as we said, that are bound under the two categories. The permanently bound and chains of Tartarus in Second Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6, and the temporary bound in the bottomless pit that will be loose in the great tribulation of Revelation 9, 2 and 14. These demons are some of the fallen angels that are loose, that are under two categories also. The demons that possess people, they're loose right now. And again, it's unbelievers they possess, never a believer. The evil spirits that seem to influence people. So they're called demons, evil spirits. They're fallen angels, okay? Now, demons are very, very strong. The demons were not stronger than Jesus. Demons being fallen angels are created beings. Therefore, they are not omnipotent. They're not all powerful, but they are very strong, as we'll see. Demons are uh, created lower than the Godhead, but higher than fallen man. The demons are stronger than natural man, created in a little lower than the angels, we are told in the scriptures. Um, when Jesus came out of the boat, if you remember, in Mark 5, 2 through 4, um, there met him a man up from the tombs with an unclean spirit, he was demon-possessed. And no one combined this man, not even with chains, because he had um, often been bound, but he would just tear him apart. But Jesus delivered him. There were two men. The Gospels, one focused on one, the other one on the two. Demons are clearly identified. So he's so strong, he breaks chains and nothing can hold him. The noun form for their identity appears 60 times in the um, old King James Version. In classical Greek, the term daimon or daimonion, in Spanish demonio, same kind of stuff, refers to lesser gods, whether good or bad, in classical Greek. The verb form appears 13 times in the New King James, or the Old King James, all of them in the Gospel. The King James translated the two words, devil or devils, but there is only one devil. So the New King James translates them demon or demons, plural. And I think that's more accurate. Okay? But you can understand that even when you read it, the demons or, or the devils, plural, you know that they're not Satan. But I think this is a little clear. When Paul preached to the Athenians um, in the book of Acts 17 and Verse 18, Luke says this, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? 
Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. You know what that word is? Diamions. In the classical word, they're using it for lower gods. Okay? Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So evil spirits, unclean spirits, or demons are all referring to demons. All of them. Now, demons have knowledge and understanding which provides them a certain level of wisdom. Demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew 8, 29 says, as they speak to Jesus, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? <laughs> Everybody's walking around saying, well, who's Jesus? Well, he's the son of this, son of that. Yeah, and, and Jesus walked by a demon and said, hi, Jesus, son of God, how you doing? Demons know who Jesus is. They don't doubt it. At Capernaum, in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, as you know, was there. He says, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Mark one twenty four. Wow. Demons know their destiny also. Matthew 8.29, demons told Jesus, Have you come here to torment us before the time? Before the time he cast them into the lake of fire? Do you come to destroy us? Mark one twenty four. These are demons speaking to Jesus. Demons know they are to operate in the sphere of their wicked character also. In scripture, they cause at times dumbness, deafness, sickness, blindness, many other things. His kingdom is described as the kingdom of wicked spirits. Here in verse 12 of Ephesians 6. The word wickedness, por, poneria, means depraved and malicious from the root word poneros, evil in nature, and is used for Cain, Satan, and the world system in 1 John 3, 12, 5, 18, and 19. Therefore, it is of no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, They creep into the church and deceive people. As we'll see as we move on, demons teaching through men. Deception. Many spirits have gone out into the world, cosmos. The worldly system, First John 4, 1 says. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you always check everything to the word of God in context. Jesus taught that there are various degrees of wickedness in demons. In Matthew twelve forty five, listen to his words. Then he goes 
And he takes with him several other spirits more wicked, speaking about demon possession, as he's cast out. He goes on and he takes other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So there's level of wickedness in demons. It may be asked why we do not see this sort of uh, manifestation in the United States more often. Demons are very wise and able to adapt themselves to the cultural environment of place and age. In an educated and highly cultured community, they do not reveal themselves as roaring lions, but also as angels of light. Their uh, presence may be um, unsuspected, but their purpose is opposing God, and it's often accomplished, even in moral or exemplary lives. It is possible that some highly educated individual who opposes the word of God is a sophisticated rationalist, and they become tools for demons a more efficient manner than those who suffer the cruel manifestation of demon activity is seen in heathen countries. Many times only um, the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits can detect their presence. So, but it's interesting that now that we're more open to a lot of pagan religions, and we're denying God. I bet you that there's a greater interest in demons. You check out all the movies on vampires and the living dead and zombies and everything else. You think it's coincidence? The programs of spiritists on TV and everything on radio. Classes in our colleges, junior colleges. On demons and demonism and that. This is what the Bible teaches about the nature of demons. Now, let's get into some of the activities of demons. If God put it in the Bible, you should know about it. No Christian should be afraid of it. Now, let me say up front... You and I should not be going around looking for demons or chasing demons or getting in their face thinking we're bad demon caster outers, okay? We'll go into this, okay? I don't, I keep the Lord between me and Satan and his demons, okay? If I'm confronted by one, if I have to do, fine, but I don't go looking for them, all right? Now, Demons oppose believers in the work of God. Demons are part of the invisible enemy that are listed by rank and authority here in our text in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Often we get caught up with the vessel, the instrument, and we don't realize the source behind the person or the instrument. Satan. So we try to wrestle and fight it out and salute 
bring solution through our flesh. Satan wants to draw you on your flesh. If he can draw you on your flesh, you're dead. You lose every time. You cannot defeat Satan through the flesh. Impossible. The word against notice appears six times for the believer's constant resistance and opposition in verse 11 and 12 here of chapter 6. Six times. Against, 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 against. The weapons of the believer are three. Being strong in the Lord, the power of his mind in verse 10. Putting on the whole armor of God in verse 11, the first part. And praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, 618. That's your weapons. The purpose is clear, that you may be able to stand against the wells and the stratagems of the devil. The latter part of verse 11. Demons are agents of Satan and we are not to be ignorant to Satan's devices, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11. His devices means the thoughts and purposes of the enemy to entrap the believer by their works and wickedness. They've been around for a long time. They're clever. Demons use Satan's strategy, the God of this world, to hinder the gospel by snatching the seed of the word of God. Matthew thirteen nineteen, parable of the sower. Some fell by the wayside. The birds came and snatched it up. Demons, evil spirits, and Satan had hindered Paul at Thessalonica, if you remember. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18 and 3, 5. In 2, 18, it says, Therefore, we want to come to you, or we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Very clear. In verse 5 of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, Satan, had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Now, well, I'll wait for the extremism. I'll wait. <laughs> Demons are spiritual forces then. And they also influence governments and political states. Listen to Daniel 10.13. But the prince, Gabriel's talking to Daniel there, he says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which stood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Gabriel, meaning, he came to help Gabriel. For I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Daniel 10.13. He associates the king of Persia. Satan. Isaiah says, Isaiah 14, 12, Lucifer, son of the morning, weakened the nations. Ezekiel 28, 12, ties the king of Tyre now to Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Satan's called the God of this world, the prince in the power of the air, the prince of this world. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2, John 12, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11. You know, Hitler was controlled by spirit forces, demons. Him and his right-hand man. And they sought out the white masters in Central South America. Documentation is very, very clear on that. And uh, who other than Satan can contrive for a man to try to bring to an end the whole human race? It's demonic. You have the same thing with Islam. It exalts itself and the rest are infidels, right? So you convert or you die by the sword. It's never changed. No different. Demons are responsible for the occasional departure of some from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, the Holy Spirit clearly states this in 1 Timothy 4.1. This occurrence is from time to time throughout the last days, known as the latter times, a willful turning away from the gospel, having accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. The text indicates demons teaching through the agency of man to deceive and seduce men and women. So it's from within the church, Second Peter chapter 2, they'll have great followings. Again, Second Corinthians eleven thirteen says, For such a false apostle, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Demons are the backbone of idol worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 19-21, quoting Deuteronomy 32, 16-17. Paul says, The Gentiles sacrifice to demons, not to God. Now this does not mean that every person that is an idolater is knowingly worshiping demons or are possessed but only that demons are behind idol worship. Is that clear? All right? Christians cannot partake of the cup of, and table of the demons and of the Lord, Paul says there in Corinthians in verse 21. You can't have it both ways. Demons will play a big role in the Great Tribulation. In Revelation 9, 2-3, it says, The fifth angel sounded the fifth trumpet. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the keys of the bottomless pit. And therefore came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and upon them was given power, as the scorpion of the earth have power. Demons coming out of the bottomless pit. To torment mankind for five months, and death will flee from them, they will be unable to die. Revelation 9, 5 through 6 says. Incredible. In Revelation 9, 11, the king over them is the angel of the bottomless pit. In Hebrew, is Abaddon, destruction. 
But in the Greek tongue is a polyon, destroyer. When the sixth angel sounded the sixth trumpet of God, of his judgment, he loosed the four angels bound in the great river Euphrates in Revelation 9, 14 through 16, prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay a third part of men. That's a lot of people. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousands, and I heard the number of them. Army of demons. Wow. Revelation 9, 20 through 21. It says, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands. Listen, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, and brass. And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, pharmakia, pharmaceutical, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The sixth bowl judgment by the sixth angel poured out his vial on the great river Euphrates to dry it up for the kings of the east. Revelation sixteen twelve through 14 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth of the whole earth to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. The demon activity directed by the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet is to seduce the nations by demons to fight against Jesus as he comes to set up the kingdom in the battle of Armageddon. Wow. Demons have two purposes, to hinder the purposes of God and to extend the power of Satan. Satan threatened God, I will be like the Most High. Remember in Isaiah 14, 13 to 14, right? God says, you'll be brought down to hell. <laughs> Side of the pit. Now, demons at times also accomplish the purposes of God. Because God's more powerful, right? So, they're used to execute God's punishment. Psalm 78, 49 says, to send the lying spirit in the mouth of the false prophets, 1 Kings 22, 23. To allure the armies of the world to Armageddon. I just gave you Revelation 16, 13 through 17. They're fulfilling God's purposes. To chasten believers. They're handed over to Satan. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, 1 Timothy 1, 20. Those who rebel against sin, they don't want to repent. You don't turn over non-believers to Satan. You turn rebellious, sinful Christians over. Is that clear? It's stated twice in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, demons possess people. Jesus um, believed and taught the reality of demon possession and casting them out. 
Matthew says, uh, Matthew 8, 16, when um, evening had come, they brought to him, meaning Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with those word and healed all of them that were sick. So he believed in them, and he cast them out. Mark says, Jesus met a man from the tomb, as I said earlier, with an unclean spirit being demon-possessed, a legion, it says. What's your name? Legion. And he delivered him, and he sat there clothed and saying in Mark 5, 2 and 15. Jesus affirmed to the Pharisees that he cast out demons, not by the prince of Beelzebub, as I pointed out earlier, but by the power of God in Matthew twelve twenty seven. If I cast them out by the, by the power of God, who do your disciples cast them out? <laughs> he busted them. Let them be your judge. Mark says Jesus cast out seven demons out of Mary Magdalene in Mark sixteen nineteen. Now, Mary Magdalene is always portrayed as a prostitute. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Catholic Church always says that. Seven demons were cast out of her. She wasn't a prostitute. <laughs> she got ripped off. She's been slandered. The early church believed and taught demon possession, and they also cast them out. Um, Mark sixteen seventeen, the Great Commission says, And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Now, once again, you don't go looking for demons, but if you bump into one, you don't have to fear, okay? The book of Acts verifies demon possession and casting them out. Luke says that as Solomon's porch, sick people and uh, those tormented by unclean spirits were brought and were all healed, Acts five seventeen. Remember Philip of Samaria when he went down there, Acts 8, 7, it says, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Acts 16, 17, and 18. Paul and at Philippi confronted the demon-possessed girl being greatly annoyed because she was promoting them, sort of, and said to the spirit, Paul spoke to the spirit, not the young girl. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. There is a distinct difference between demon possession and various others' phenomena. Demon possession is the entry of a demon to a person's body to take control and residence. Demon influence is part of the normal spiritual warfare by tempting and alluring the believer. The fiery darts of the wicked here in 6.16 of Ephesians. That is not possession. We have spiritual warfare. A demon or spirit inhabits a body of a non-believer. Not the believer. Demon possession and sickness are not identical, nor should they at all times be related to each other. Demons cause dumbness, blindness, insanity, as I pointed out before in Matthew and Mark and all the Gospels. You can see that. But not every person suffering from these is demon-possessed. Is that clear? All right? Only when the scriptures tell us that this deafness was related to demons are we sure. But not everybody who's deaf is demon-possessed. 
Okay? Now, I do believe some of the people that are on the street, they are demon-possessed, okay? But not every sickness means you're demon-possessed. Today, a great majority of the church teaches the doctrine of positive confession and see faith, blaming all illness on Satan or your lack of faith. This is absolutely wrong and carnal, uncompassionate, self-righteous. Sickness and deformities are part of the fallen effect of sin in the world. Even Elisha became sick and died of the illness that he had in 2 Kings 13, 14. Okay? Paul was sick. Timothy was sickly. James 5, 14 and 15. And 1 John 5, 14 and 15 tells us that we have a provisions to ask God for healing. And he heals us sovereignly at times, right? But doesn't mean we'll always be healed or that everybody will be healed. Now... As far as the casting out of the demons, the name of Jesus is the authority and power given to cast out demons. Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Acts 16, 18. But we must not take this as a mere formula, but rather as acting on Christ's behalf as his ambassadors. Paul did not use <clears throat> the name of Jesus for Elam is the sorcerer, but being filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind not seeing the sun for a time. Acts 13, 9 through 11. So it's not a formula. The methodology is not the key. No case is ever recorded where hands were laid on to cast out demons. Do you realize that? Not one time in scripture. No loud yelling in Jesus' name is taught. No one ever coughed up a spirit or a demon in scripture as a spirit of lust or gluttony or smoking or whatever. As so many deliverance ministries teach. Channel 40. No gift of exorcism is ever mentioned in the New Testament. There is discerning of spirits, which works sort of like a word of knowledge, 1 Corinthians 12.10. It would be a word of knowledge for you to know that someone's demon-possessed in the room. Not like everybody says, well, I have the gift of discernment. There's no such gift. Look it up. The context is demon-possession. The only mention of exorcists is the seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19, 13 through 16, where they try to take and use the name of Jesus. And the evil spirits answer and said, Jesus, I know and Paul, I know, but who are you? <laughs> and then the men in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. And so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Demons are powerful. There are uh, traditional formulas used as patterns and methods. But they're not biblical. I bind you in the name of Jesus, which appears only two times and never in the context of restraining Satan. The first time it appears, as Peter said, and I will give you the keys. Jesus speaking to Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. Matthew sixteen nineteen. The context of binding and loosening there is the church and means allow and disallow or to permit and prohibit 
what is scriptural. Context, context, context. It has nothing to do with binding Satan. It is the church on earth carrying out heaven's decisions, not heaven ratifying the church's decisions. The second time Jesus is talking about forgiveness in a sinning brother. Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be bound in heaven. The context this time is for church discipline. Not for binding Satan. Not once is the word bind used in the book of Acts or the epistles to bind a demon. Matthew and Luke tell us Jesus, the strong man, is the one that overcomes Satan or his demons, not us, through some magical formula. Yet believers are the instruments when they have to confront him. Satan is a tool of God at times, and to use this formula, I bind you, Satan. If God is using Satan and you're trying to bind him, who's going to win? <laughs> Think it through, ladies and gentlemen. Is God going to fight himself? It's completely out of context. The only other similar expression is in John's gospel when Jesus gave the apostles the authority to declare the forgiveness of sins based on the gospel. Listen carefully. John 20, 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The context again is accepting or rejecting the gospel. So if someone accepts the gospel, you have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. They don't longer exist. If they reject the gospel, you say they're still on you. You have that authority. It's nothing about binding or anything else. Then there's the pleading of the blood of Jesus to overcome Satan or demons. Nowhere in scripture are we taught to claim the blood of Jesus when confronting Satan or demons. The only thing we are taught is that the blood of Jesus makes us sinless and has the power to cleanse us and save us. 1 Peter 1.19 and 1 John 1.9. These are all traditional things that come out of the church, but not biblical. Yelling and praying loud, like a single, oh, okay, I'm out of here. Like if you're going to scare them or something. Jesus taught the following. Listen carefully. In um, Luke uh, 12, 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. This is a prince who's demon possessed and he's exercised. Then he says in verse 44, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds that empty swept and put in order. And then in verse 45, then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell therein and the last state of that man is worse than the first, a non-believer. If you're a believer, you're filled with light. He comes back, you accept the Lord, you, he comes back, it's filled. He can't come in. Now he can harass you, he can try to oppress you, hassle you, warfare, but he can't possess you. Jesus is the strong man who overcomes Satan, not us. Now, demons cannot possess a Christian then. Jesus destroyed the authority of Satan for believers. Having principalities uh, and powers, 
He made a public display or spectacle of them, triumphing over them as he went down to hell in Colossians 2.15. Christians have escaped the snare of the devil, <clears throat> having been taken captive by him by his will. In 2 Corinthians 2.26, we've been delivered by Jesus. Greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. So Christians can be harassed by demons, but not possessed. Christians can be oppressed by demons by not doing good warfare, being spirit-filled, putting on the whole armor, and not falling to the well of the devil. Then we get beat up. Christians can be depressed by demons and influenced in act- by their activity by failing only to recognize that they are not wrestling against flesh and blood, and they're trying to deal with it in their own strength instead of the weapons of warfare against these wicked spirit of darkness so that you're able to stand. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin continually, but he who has been born of God keeps himself by the Holy Spirit and the wicked one, Poneros, does not touch him. 1 John 5.18 Wow! Very clear. The practice and prohibition of the occult dealing with demons and spirit guides is very clear in Scripture. Leviticus 19.31 Give no regards to mediums or familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, verse 6, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Deuteronomy 18, 10, 11. It says, Quitchcraft or soothsaying or one of interprets omens or sorcerers or one who conjures spells or a medium or spiritist or one who calls on the dead. All prohibited. Diviners, dreamers, so on and so forth. Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, Nahum, over and over again. Hydromacy is foretelling by water pouring out on a vessel or objects dropping into the water. Joseph mentions that to his brothers in Genesis 44, 5. Do you not know that I can divine? Now Joseph didn't use that, but that was a practice of the Egyptians. Interesting. Astrology is foretelling, determining the influence of the stars and the destiny of people, planets, everything else. Isaiah 47, 13, prohibited. The practice of augury is foretelling the future by means of natural signs, such as um, the flight of birds, the disposition of entrails, and different things. Ezekiel 21, 21. The New Testament also prohibits the occult. The girl at Philippi, we already mentioned. Two of the works of the flesh are idolatry and sorcery in Galatians 5.20. Spiritism is the belief in the living, uh, that the living can communicate with the dead and manifest their presence, often called necromancy through a human agent, a medium, a familiar spirit. Saul sought the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28.3. Simon Magus, Elamas the sorcerer, and the young girl foreteller or necromancy under sorcery. Today's New Age movement is nothing more than revived Hinduism, which is tapping into demons and spirit guides through channelers and mediums. And now the, the emergent church with contemplative prayer. Tapping into demons. Wow. Right in the church. The number of tarot card business, spirit guides, and internet, radio, and television programs are astounding today. The Antichrist will be demon-possessed 
by Satan. Out of the bottomless pit, Revelation 17, 8 tells us. Michael, his angels fight against the dragon and his angels. And then Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven to the earth to deceive the entire world. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says, wow. Jesus said, it'd be better that you die than live in those days. The tribulation period will be full of demon activity. Babylon, empowered by the occult of demons. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Revelation 16, 13, 14, 13, 4, and 18, 23. Wow. You and I are born into warfare. But we can't be possessed. One put it this way. There are approximately 300 references to the word of God to angels and only approximately 80 to devils and demons. In other words, there are three times as many references to angels in the Bible than there are to demons. Why then do some people spend three times more, three more times as much time as they t- talking about demons than they do about angels? <laughs> That's not what we're to be focusing on. Don't go looking for them. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to think that you're Ghostbusters or anything else. You know, just lighten up. Some Christians see demons under everything and on everything. He's real. They're real. So this is what the Bible teaches about the, the activities of demons. Very clear in Scripture. So, these are the true facts recorded in Scripture regarding demons from these threefold perspective. The origin of demons, the nature of demons, and the activity of demons. This is first-hand information directly from God. You don't have to go read other books. <laughs> Every other book you read, you have to sift it through this book. This is directly from heaven. You can eat this stuff and not be afraid you're going to be spiritually poisoned. The word of God. Lord, thank you for your loving goodness. Speak to our hearts and deal with us, Lord, that we trust your word and nothing else. Give us wisdom for the day. That we just trust you, Lord, and allow you to fight the battles. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. If you're over the internet or maybe the radio or out there, if you believe Jesus, God, who became man and died for your sins and rose from the dead, the Bible says you can be saved. You can call upon him and he will forgive you and cast your sins as far as east as the west and give to you eternal life. If this is your desire, this is your prayer repentance. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me for all of my sins. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen.